This is 105.9 The Region, where parents talk and explore practical, proactive, and evidence-based solutions. This is Where Parents Talk with Leanne Castellino. Great to have you along here on 105.9 The Region. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm your host, Leanne Castellino. Each week, we distill parenting hot topics through the lens of science and the lived experience of our guests. Much of what we talk about on this show is intended for parents with children who are 15 to 24 years of age. Today, though, we're going to dial it back a bit and focus on middle schoolers. This is the age group of kids between 11 to 13 years old, or in grade 6 to 8. It's an age group that our guest knows very well. She is a licensed clinical professional counselor, a certified professional school counselor, and an author. Phyllis Fagel is also a therapist in private practice, working with children and families. She's a frequent contributor to publications including the Washington Post, and she's also a mother of three. Her latest book is called Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. Phyllis joins us today from Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Thanks so much for being here. It's so nice to talk to you again. I love your podcast. Thank you so much. And it's such an important topic that we're talking about, about an age group that I think often gets overlooked. I'm keen to know what you think about, are we having enough of a discussion about what's going on in the tween years these days? You know, in my new book, I'm referring to them as extreme tweens because they're the same middle schoolers we've always seen developmentally. They're insecure, they're vulnerable, they're trying to figure out how they measure up to their peers, if they're good enough, all of the things we think about with that age group. But right now, they're themselves only more so. And I think that's a reaction to the times that they're growing up in this hyper-connected world where they're constantly exposed to what's happening internationally in terms of what's happening in their own communities, and not to mention the fact that this is on the heels of COVID and a few years of so much disruption in their lives. So yes, they need a tremendous amount of support, and they're an age group that typically gets neglected, either lumped in with elementary school kids or with older high schoolers. And now especially, I think that the kids who are going through middle school are so impacted by what's happening in the world and what's happened in the last few years that we as always need to pay attention to them, but now even more so. There is certainly no shortage of things coming at this, kids. Violence in the world, in schools, climate change, different family dynamics at home, mental health issues, social media. So Phyllis, when you look at this entire landscape, what strikes you most as it relates to the middle school age group? So I think one of the misconceptions about this age group is that they are mean or that they're drama seeking. And the irony is that if anything, they are impacted by all of the meanness and mean spiritedness that they are subjected to in the world around them. The adult influences have been pretty negative. Uh, we've, I'm in the United States, obviously, so we've had some pretty uh Contentious, election, contentious elections in recent years, and the news is just an endless stream of doom scrolling for kids who are hyperconnected, always online. They are so subjected to that 24-7 news cycle. So I think what we're seeing is a bit more hypervigilance and maybe even a bit more meanness, certainly more social awkwardness because they haven't had as much practice interacting with one another. They don't have the best role modeling and examples 
the ones that we would like them to have. We have a lot of adults who are simply trying to keep their own oxygen mask on, which means that they may not have the emotional bandwidth to cope out loud and to be talking about the kinds of strategies they use. But kids really also need that kind of role modeling. Absolutely. So if I'm a student and I'm in this tween age group and I'm listening to you and I see the things that I'm, you know, impacted by in the world, like what can you say to me that would help me feel less daunted about all of the things that we've just outlined? So we want middle schoolers in particular who are so social justice oriented and so interested in what's happening in that broader society, it can almost fill them with uh, an existential dread. And that's even more uh, typical among kids who are gifted. But what we want to be doing is having them zoom back in, focusing on something going on that day, that moment in their own life to really be living in the present and engaging with their peers and focusing on the things that they can control. So there's that sweet spot between the things you can control and I'll sometimes even draw a Venn diagram for kids, things you can control and things that matter. And you're looking for that overlap because you want to conserve your energy. You don't want to be picking every last fight. Sure, you it is well within your control to tell someone that they're looking at you funny and you want to know why they're looking at you funny or you're, you want to take on that teacher who docked you a point that you thought you deserved on a quiz. But maybe play it all the way out and decide if it's important enough to you to actually take that on as your battle or if you want to put your energies elsewhere. You know, it's interesting hearing you describe it that way certainly is also applicable to adults as well, right? Like control what you can control and and that's all you can really do. On that note, when we're talking about parents of tweens, what can you suggest to them to help them support their child navigate this volatile space that we're all in right now? A lot of parents contact me because they think their child is depressed or anxious. They think their child needs therapy. And not to say that everyone doesn't benefit from therapy, but something that I think we're missing in the weeds is that much of the anxiety and sadness and loneliness and awkwardness and disorganization and hit to the executive functioning skills that is leading to kids being overwhelmed is comes down to skill development. And so the more that we as parents and as adults can do to actually operationalize how kids can connect with other people, to help them learn the skills that they require to ask a teacher for help or to enter a conversation or to invite someone over to their house or to sit down at a table where they don't know anybody in a crowded lunchroom, the more we can do in that very concrete way to support our kids, that's actually what they're really looking for, even if they don't all necessarily voice it that way. And that's where we can really lend them our expertise and share what was difficult for us and how we may have overcome it over time. This is Where Parents Talk. I'm Leanne Castellino, and we are in conversation with Phyllis Fagel, author of Middle School Superpowers. She's also a school counselor and a therapist. How about for parents who are, you know, helicopter parents, right? They can't help themselves. They want to do everything for their child. They want their child to have the best. And we hear about these stories all the time, whether the child is young or the child is a teenager or the child is in college and university. What can you say to that parent about how to sort of dial that back and better support a tween? 
So I understand that instinct and I have a lot of compassion for parents. I think all of us would like to wrap our kids in bubble, bubble wrap and make their worlds perfect. And the silver lining of the fact that their worlds are imperfect and there is no avoiding the fact that they're going to take some hits along the way is that that's how they learn. And that's how they learn how to make friend choices that are healthy for them. That's how they learn to self-advocate. That's how they learn all of the skills that they need to function as adults in the world. So if we wrap them in bubble wrap, if we try to fight their battles for them, if we try to remove all of the obstacles, we might in the short run ease their way. But in the long run, we, we only create more difficulties for them. Phyllis, you are deeply experienced with this age group on multiple levels. Can you tell us what intrigues you about middle schoolers? You know, I was talking to someone earlier today who's writing a book for this age group, and they asked me why I like middle schoolers so much. And I really do genuinely like them. Uh, for starters, they are incredibly funny. They still have a lot of little kid in them. And whether it's a physical pratfall humor or a funny way of looking at something that adults don't necessarily even see it that way anymore, they have a way of bringing the humor into any situation. Granted, they have to walk that line between funny and mean, and that can be a tough uh, boundary for them to keep at times. That's a skill they're working on too. They have a wonderful sense of adventure. They are open to new experiences. They are still very malleable and impressionable and interested in coaching and what we have to tell them. Yes, they're pulling away, but they still very much care what we think about them as adults. So it's this really perfect opportunity. I, I like calling middle school the last best chance for us to get in there and parent because once they go on to high school, and I say this is the parent of three, and my last one is a, just finished his freshman year of high school, but I'm keenly aware that middle school is kind of a magical time where they're still very connected to you and haven't yet pulled away, and you do have a lot of influence over their choices and the kind of person they become. On that note, is there something in particular that you think parents need to understand about this age group of kids that perhaps isn't widely known that might help them better help their kids navigate this time? Parents really need to understand that most kids are going to perceive judgment or criticism in the most neutral facial expressions. Even pausing before you answer, they're going to read into it and recognize that everything that they're doing is being scrutinized. I, I like to joke that kids have a PhD in their parents. And because they still want your approval and because you don't want that conversation to shut down, you have to be really careful to process anything that's tough for you, or maybe if your child didn't do well on something and that is something that you're struggling with, make sure you process it with another adult and not with your child so that when you go and talk to your child, you can listen. If there's only one piece of advice, I would say it's listen a lot more than you talk. Kids do not like to be lectured to in this age group. If you want to help them first, ask permission can I support you? When you're listening to them, just make sure everything is in alignment, your facial expressions, your body language, when you pause or don't pause the words you choose, because they are looking for your approval. They are looking to you to see how they should see themselves. And success begets success. We want kids, we want to set them up for success, and we want them to see themselves as capable and competent. Lots more ahead with our guest, Phyllis Fagel, author of Middle School Superpowers, Raising Resilient Tweens in Turbulent Times. When we come back, we'll examine what the key superpowers are and why they're important for tweens and their parents. Stay with us. Where Parents Talk returns after a quick break. Want to learn more about the show? Email info at whereparentstalk.com. Stick around. 
Leanne Castellino and Where Parents Talk will be right back on 105.9 The Region. Welcome back to Where Parents Talk. Listen live at 1059theregion.com. Here's Leanne Castellino. Welcome back. We're talking about the tween age group, 11 to 13 years old, and some of the unique challenges they face, and by extension, that their parents experience today. Our guest is Phyllis Fagel, clinical counselor, therapist, author, and mother of three. Let's talk about your book, Middle School Superpowers. Take us through some of the evidence-based research that you looked into and discovered in the course of writing this book. Over the course of the last couple of years, as we were going through the pandemic and I was on screen all day with kids, I left my Zoom room open. So I was either running a group or I was doing teaching a class or I had drop-in hours. And so watching these kids through that whole experience and then watching them come back and seeing them struggle, suddenly I needed this whole new set of strategies and these kids needed a whole new set of skills. And I started writing about it. Uh, you know, in the midst of all of this, as it was unfolding and researching it, because I felt like I was out of my depth. I felt the way I felt as a new middle school counselor, that I needed to go find the information that would help me do my job. And it didn't really exist. And so I identified these 12 skills that are perennial superpowers, but that are particularly useful for this age group and particularly useful for this time in history. And they run the gamut from dealing with uncertainty to retaining positivity in the midst of a crisis or a setback. And really what it comes down to is how do you raise a resilient child? And resilience is very much misunderstood. Resilience doesn't mean that you uh, bounce back from everything. Resilience means that despite taking those hits, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. And it requires a set of skills and strengths. It's not something you're born with, like an ear for language or music. It's something that can be taught. And so the research I did was in these 12 areas, which include optimism, risk-taking, belonging. Belonging might be the number one superpower, even though it's the the second superpower in the book. And really going through the research on what we can do to help kids who are growing up saturated in social media in the midst of a mental health crisis with a war raging in Europe and school shootings left and right in the United States and help them come out of that, not only feeling you know, okay, but maybe feeling stronger. And I think that's possible. Phyllis, let's go through the top three superpowers that you talk about in your book among the 12 superpowers that you identify. Why are they important and why have they been identified as superpowers? Sure. So I'll start with uncertainty which is a huge one for adults too. I don't know anybody who is like, you know what, bring on the uncertainty. You know, Make sure I don't have any clue what's gonna happen next. People are very uncomfortable. In fact, there's research showing that people would rather know they're going to get an electrical shock, a painful electrical shock, than be told there's a 50% chance that they're going to get one. And job uncertainty, not knowing whether or not you're going to get fired is actually more stressful and perceived as more stressful to people than getting fired. So. We as humans do not like uncertainty, but for middle schoolers in particular, they are changing more rapidly than they have at any time in their life other than birth to age two, internally, externally in every way, and the world around them suddenly shifted so much. So they felt particularly powerless 
And they're in this phase where they're suddenly moving from elementary to middle school. So there is structural logistical changes in their life. They have to rejigger their entire social network at a time when they are acutely aware of how they stack up to others and where they fit in in that pack. So helping them manage that uncertainty when they're marinating in uncertainty is a superpower. The second one I mentioned was super belonging. And that has, I think everybody knows and thinks about middle schoolers as being exquisitely sensitive to whether or not they're popular. And there's research showing that there's a tremendous amount of agreement. Kids know who's popular and that is real social capital. And the kids are aware that that's real social capital. And not everyone is going to be popular. Not everyone is going to be equally socially skilled. And in middle school, when some kids weigh 75 pounds more than another because they've gone through puberty and they're going to undoubtedly be better at sports or whatever activity they might be doing that involves, you know, say strength, kids in this age group don't necessarily intuitively understand that it makes sense that they're behind. They still feel like they should be keeping pace with those peers, even if they are, you know, 75 pounds bigger and six inches taller. So we want to make sure that they are finding their people that they are using these years to figure out what kinds of people make them happy, what kinds of activities make them happy. And I always share the research on social churn with kids, even though it's sort of jarring data for parents because it, for them, often confirms that worst stereotype about middle school as being a time when kids are surrounded by fair weather friends. But for kids, knowing that only half of kids have their the person they name as their best friend in the back, that only 1% of friendships last from sixth grade, seventh grade to 12th grade, that 12% of sixth graders have no one name them as a friend at all. And that only a third of friendships last from the fall to spring of that first year of middle school. That's incredibly reassuring data to kids because it means that they're not the only one getting dumped. It means that they're not the only one dealing with these hits, that there's nothing wrong with them. It's just that this is when kids are figuring out how to be a friend and choose a friend. You deal with children at school, you counsel families and kids as a therapist, you have children of your own at home. Your lens on this topic is certainly multidimensional. Is there anything in particular through your experience and in the course of researching this book that you were particularly struck by? You know, one of the things that really struck me is that so much of the emphasis has been on mental health as opposed to skill development. And I say this as a therapist, but the thing that's been most useful to my students and to my clients is to have a plan of action, to not feel like they are at the mercy of their emotions or powerless at the hands of world events or even events in their own community. So if they're hypervigilant and afraid of fire drills, then we can work with them to figure out what they need to feel more secure in the event of a fire drill. If they are anxious about entering a lunchroom, then we can work on strategies. We can walk them through what it might feel like to walk in. We can have them maybe come up with a way to mitigate some of the risk that they feel when they walk into that room. But the more we can do to help kids actually feel that sense of agency and control over all of these things at a time that feels very much uh, out of their control, the better they'll be emotionally as well. Absolutely. Now, Phyllis, in terms of parents in this age group, let's say your approach has been overprotective. As these tweens enter their formative years, how can a parent change course or adapt their approach in terms of providing proper support to kids in this age group? So you can always change course. 
And I am a big believer in being authentic. And there's a lot of power in saying to your child, you know what? I realize I have been overstepping, which probably was frustrating to you, not that helpful to you. And I'm realizing it was only creating conflict between us and probably robbing you of the opportunity to learn from some of these experiences. So I'm going to take a step back. On the flip side, if you are having, if you're raising a kid who's suddenly really struggling to make good decisions and they're making those poor decisions online or on social media, you can change the rules there too. If they're not ready for the freedom that they're given, then you want to be pulling, but in a caring, loving way, you know, we need to work on some of these skills so that you don't blow up your life or you don't blow up your social life. And this, you may not like it, but it comes from a place of love. So you can go one way or the other. You can either get in there more and be more involved as needed, or you might need to take a step back. And I think having that self-awareness and having that kind of honest conversation with your kids is really effective. We are in conversation with Phyllis Fagel, school counselor, clinical counselor, and author of Middle School Superpowers. Phyllis, you have three kids of your own, 21, 19, and 15, including twins. What does this look like in your home in terms of how you support them? I try very hard to take my own advice. Obviously, we're not always going to be perfect, but I try to use impersonal stories, maybe examples from my work or things that I've read or things that I'm seeing in the news or on TV to have these conversations in a way that doesn't feel threatening with them. And all kids are different. I can really be, I can really joke around with my oldest who has a pretty thick skin and always has been able to make it a little bit more personal without pulling back. So for him, I would joke with him when he was going back, what do you know about your brain? And you'd go, it's broken or it's not fully developed. And it was a little joke between us, but it was my reminder to him, like, don't do stupid things. Things, and he was okay with that. Another kid might find that offensive or critical and not be able to roll with that kind of joking. So you want to know your own kid. One of the other things that I do, and this was a piece of advice I got from a school principal who had heard it from someone else, but it is really effective rather than peppering your kid with nonstop questions and really invading their space, just like making cookies or something. And they, it's like the Pied Piper, they come down and they sit at the table and they want to talk. Making this, when you make an inviting environment where it's not somebody just lobbing nonstop questions at you or making you feel judged or criticized, but genuinely showing curiosity and interest and pride in what they're doing and taking pleasure in the stories that they share, then you're setting up the scene to have the, those positive interactions. It can be very easy to get overwhelmed and defeated as a parent today, but I wonder what gives you hope? What makes you optimistic about this age group and how they can be best supported in today's world? So I think the flip side of this, so much of this being skills-based is that with exposure and with experience, they are able to acquire all the skills they need to navigate this changing world and this stressful world. I think if anything, kids are bouncing back faster than parents and other adults. So that's the silver lining. The other silver lining is this is an age group that has a lot more gratitude maybe than prior generations. They really appreciate those small moments, the milestone events, not to be too cheesy, but they really are uh, just filled with gratitude, even for little things like a school dance or being able to have a fundraiser or being able to talk in person. These things matter to them and, and they really care about them and they care about the world they live in. And I do think that these are the kids who will grow up and change a lot of the things that are problematic as adults. Phyllis, you talked about what you saw over the pandemic period in your various roles 
And I wonder what was the turning point or the point where you said to yourself, you know, I really need to do something about this. And it's going to be writing a book. I was writing almost throughout the pandemic and writing is how I process and writing is how I share what I'm learning along the way. And it gives me a sense of agency. It makes me feel less disempowered and it makes me feel more connected to that broader community. So I think that was my own coping mechanism. On the other side, when we came back and I had kids who would lie across their chairs like Superman, you know, with their arms in front of them and their legs behind them. And it wasn't that they were trying to be silly. They were literally trying to stay in their chair, to stay grounded in their bodies. And I was experimenting and I was trying to figure out what I could do to help them stay in that chair, to help them feel good about being back at school, to help the kids who wouldn't come back because they were insecure about their weight or insecure about their friendships. How do we get them back in the building? How do we get that kid who won't go to Spanish because they missed a lot of Spanish because of something going on in their family into that Spanish class and willing to risk embarrassment if they don't know the answer because they're behind and experimenting and trying all of these different things with kids. And how do we help them make good choices and anticipate how their actions will impact others when they were so consumed with their own issues. It was harder for them when they came back to think about other people's opinions or perspectives or to think beyond themselves. And so the book is really a way to take all of what I learned from those experiences and capture it so that other people can benefit from it as well. Phyllis, what is your key takeaway for readers of middle school superpowers? So for starters, I'm assuming that for the most part, the people reading it will either be educators who work with middle schoolers or people who are raising middle schoolers. And so my biggest takeaway that I would like them to have is that this is such a golden opportunity and it is such a fun age group, despite the fact that it's particularly challenging right now or that there are so many external things making it even harder than it normally is to raise these kids or educate these kids. It's incredibly rewarding and we can help them come out on the other side even more resilient and stronger than when they started. And you have tremendous power to do that by working with them in very concrete ways to build their skills and build their confidence. And so stick with it. Don't get too frustrated. Try to stay calm, really love and enjoy your child. I'm actually sad that all of my kids have made it through middle school. It's a phase that I really enjoyed. That's great to hear. Phyllis Fagel, counselor, therapist, and author of Middle School Superpowers, we so appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you for having me. Be sure to watch the full video interview with Phyllis and all of our guests that we interview here on this show. Simply go to whereparentstalk.com to view and also get additional information and links to our guests. That is our time for this edition of Where Parents Talk. If you have a story idea you'd like to share, email us info at whereparentstalk.com. Com. You can also message us via social media. Thanks for being with us. I'm Leanne Castellino. Till next time, happy parenting. Sign up for Leanne's parenting newsletter and so much more at whereparentstalk.com. This is Where Parents Talk on 105.9 The Region.